Welcome to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. My name is Fergal Byrne. Over the coming months, I'll be interviewing senior business leaders actively working on supply chain decarbonization, reducing Scope 3 emissions in a variety of different industries. We discuss companies' decarbonization journeys, the challenges, their experience and strategies, explore what is working, and identify key lessons and insights. I'm very pleased today to welcome Virginia Dundas to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. Virginia heads up the Climate Environment Strategic Team at Orsted, responsible for setting the direction and targets of Orsted's climate and environmental initiatives, with a particular focus on supply chain decarbonisation. So thank you very much, Virginia, for joining me today on the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. And thank you, Fergal, for having me here. It's uh, really a pleasure to be here with you today chatting about uh, Scope 3 and how in Ersted we work to reduce and decarbonize emissions from the supply chain of our renewable energy projects. Before we go into some of the details of what you do and how you do it, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about your role at Orsted and also how Scope 3 decarbonization fits into your role? Yes, of course. So I'm heading the Climate and Environment Strategic Team at Ersted and the role of my team is is dual, is both to work with our senior leaders at C-suite level with regards to setting the direction and the ambitions and the targets within the areas of climate and environment, including uh, decarbonization and mainly decarbonization and scope three emissions, making sure that we continue and we forward the transformation that the company started over 10 years ago, moving from being fully dedicated to fossil fuels to being a company entire dedicated to renewable energy. And the second role that my team has, uh, we're sitting in the global stakeholder relations and strategy area of our team, but, but our role and working and delivering on our targets within climate and broader environmental aspect, it's not our own responsibility. It's not something where we can lift on our own, but it requires the concerted effort across many areas of the business. So the role of my team is basically to work with different departments across the business to ensure that we have the right practices, the right programs, as we call it, in place so we can deliver on our on our ambitions. And within climate, it is to deliver on a net, on a net zero target by 2040, which covers our full value chain. Very interesting. We talk a little bit about the net zero in a moment. But How important a priority would you say scope three decarbonization is at Orsted? Can you maybe talk a little bit about what some of your goals and targets are and where you are on your journey? Yes, of course. It is a top priority and it's actually the next frontier in our decarbonization journey. And basically to explain what I mean with those words, Orsted started uh, over 10 years ago at Transformation for being one of the most coal intensive energy utilities in the world to being what it is today, one of the top five renewable energy companies in in the world. And that means that we have worked to decarbonize our own home, that is scope one and two. We um, we have today reached 87% decarbonization within scope one and two, our own energy generation and operations. And we will be carbon neutral in scope one and two in four years time by 2025. We will fully phase out coal in next year by 2023. So we're really, really well, well on track to reach fully decarbonization of our own home, as I as I call it in, in, in more plain English. And then the next frontier in our decarbonization journey is scope three. It's decarbonizing the emissions that are linked and associated with the 
construction installation of the wind farms that we install offshore, but also those that we're installing and the projects that we have onshore. Um, and, and the reason this is one of the key top priorities is because in Ursa we have an ambition to be a fully recognized, globally recognized sustainability leader by 2030. And this is one of the key key parameters and pillars in our business strategy to deliver on, on it. And, and one of the key pillars to ensure that we as a business not only help put out green energy in the world, but we ensure that that green energy and that transformation is sustainable all the way is to look at the emissions in the supply chain. And that is our, one of the top, top priorities that we have. There are also, of course, other priorities. We're also working to ensure that the green energy will now happens in balance with nature, biodiversity, and working to build in balance with nature is also another key priority for us. But I would say those are some of the top priorities that, that we have in, in the business. And it is, as I mentioned to you, the next frontier in our decarbonization journey. Like many companies, Orsted has been faced with supply chain challenges of one kind or another, many of which I guess are on- ongoing. And I'm just wondering, how has this impacted your ability to focus on key longer term sustainability questions like scope three? How do you balance your short and longer term supply chain sustainability and, and other priorities? I think that's a great question and a very, very timely question in, in the times that we live in with all of the different things that are happening post-COVID, supply chain bottlenecks, geopolitical issues, the the war in, in Ukraine and so on. And, and we actually asked ourselves that exact question early on this year. This year, we marked two years into our supply chain decarbonization program. That is the program that we have put in place two years ago to ensure that we can work to decarbonize our scope three emissions together with our suppliers and, and we took a little bit of stock of what we've accomplished these two years and what would be the next steps that we need to take. And that question was the first one that it came. What should we do? Should we even continue to work on this or should we just pause this work in a way? Why does it matter? Does it really matter that we continue our, our work today, that we that we continue to do something today? And And the answer that we got to together with we work on this very closely with our procurement and product line organization is that we still need to work uh, to make sure that we reach our long-term target of fully decarbonizing our supply chain by 2040. And the reason for that, it is that there's going to be, if we do not act now, if we do not sort of be, continue our efforts today, we're going to be in even a more present situation and after the 2030s, there's actually a, a study published by McKinsey early on this year that actually shows the availability of green products, for instance, green steel, which is something really, really important for us to decarbonize our, our scope three emissions, our, our supply chain of renewable energy projects. There's going to be a shortage of availability of, of green steel compared to the demand that companies that have targets like we do are going to have back then. And that is going to put even increasing and even more pressure on inflation and price premiums and shortages. So with that in mind, what we said is that we need to continue our efforts and we need to find, of course, a ways of balancing what is happening in the circumstances that are happening in today. 
And just to sort of quote our, our, our CEO, he always says, Matt Snipper, he always says sort of the strategy, the North has to be strong enough that stays there. And we're fully committed to our net zero by 2040 target. But how and the plans and the actions that we take today, may we be able to need to adjust to the circumstances as long as we continue to push our efforts toward our long-term targets. So with that in mind, we decided that we will continue our efforts and we put a plan in motion basically to continue all of the good work that we've been doing the last two years in terms of the really good engagement and dialogue that we have with our top strategic suppliers on, on decarbonization and how to work together and collaborate on these efforts. And we also began to define some more key areas of actions that we can do targeting the more critical materials that are key to reach our long-term targets. One of them is the one that I mentioned still, and we're really, really working across a number of different areas to, to ensure that we can continue to push decarbonization of the steel sector that is relevant to decarbonize our supply chain, while also being mindful of the costs and shortages that we have today in our on our supply chain. You touched on a couple of important topics, which hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about working with uh, supply suppliers in hard to decarbonize sectors, for, for one, and also this question of collaboration. But before we talk about that, what is it that you think makes Scope 3 so challenging? Well, there are, I think, two or three key challenges that are very critical. The, the first one starts with emissions and sort of working to decarbonize scope three emissions is not something that is within your own operational or financial scope. It lies with your suppliers. And that is something that entails what you just touched upon, which is you need to find ways of working collaboratively to make sure that you reach that target. So that's a significant difference in working to decarbonize your own scope one and two emissions, your own home in a way. Usually I, I tend to use sort of this expression that decarbonizing scope one and two is like your own home. So you get to decide the colors you want to paint your walls, the furniture you want to have. It's very easy. You may or may not have the money or how much money you have, you, but you have full decision power over it. When it comes to scope three, your decision power and your influence is a little less. It's like imagine that you need to work with your neighbors to sort of look at how you're going to, how you're going to plan how your neighborhood is going to look like. That is not fully entirely up to you, but it's entirely up to you and your neighbors to sort of design that. And that is one of the key challenges that, that you face on Scope 3, that, that it requires collaboration and it requires to redefine the sweet spots of collaboration to ensure that you can make that sort of long-term, distant future actionable today. The second key um, challenge there is, and until it's, it's mainly, I think it's very... Uh, it's mainly for us, is that the vast majority of emissions in our supply chain do not necessarily line with our tier one suppliers, but they lie further upstream in the supply chain. I've mentioned to you, for instance, and the key, for instance, contributor to emissions in our supply chain are, are the steel, mainly using the foundations that sustain the wind turbines that we install offshore. And the second, the second largest source of emissions in our supply chains are the fuels that are used by the vessels that sort of move all of the different parts and components of a wind farm and install them offshore in a way. And working to do that, it requires that we do not only think our tier one supplies, but we think how to influence further, further up in the supply chain. And that adds another degree of, of complexity. And the third key challenge that, that we have encountered and that we are working with, of course, is how do you measure emissions? 
Of course, we have the greenhouse gas protocol that is internationally guidelines for, for how do you measure your, your emissions uh, when it comes to, to greenhouse gases. But working to sort of measure emissions in the supply chain is a very, very complicated and complex task. And we are uh, dependent on the ability of our suppliers also to measure their own suppliers' emissions and, and so on. So, so working to find a way that it's homogeneous, that it's agreed within the industry, but it's also to make it comparable uh, and so on. It's one of the other key challenges of working with with scope three emissions. Very interesting. Now, what are, would you say, some of the key steps that you, you were talking about breaking down this process, what you're doing with, with, with scope three emissions? Yes. And what we did sort of two years ago, we launched our supply chain decarbonization program, basically addressing some of the key challenges that I have just mentioned to you. And one of the first essence of this program is exactly work with our suppliers to find ways of how do we help them decarbonize their own operations and how will they help them work further with their supply chain on decarbonization. And basically the very, very simple first approach that we took was just starting a conversation and a dialogue with them through the, the core uh, commercial dialogues that we have and the strategic dialogues that we have and that a procurement organization leads with, with them. And that was sort of the first step getting to understand where they are, where their bottlenecks, where their pain points, and how can we work together to sort of push, accelerate, or smooth that transition. That is the first one, and entails exactly it's about collaboration, it's about understanding, it's about defining some mutual mutual goals that, that we, we can have. The second key um, step that we've been working is that collaboration is relevant with your supply chain to really understand how you can support but it might also be relevant to collaborate with peers within the industry and across sectors to sort of that also share the same ambitions and also share the same challenges. And this is, for instance, very, very important when decarbonization of your supply chain is dependent on what we call difficult to decarbonize or hard to bait sectors like, like, like for us, which is steel and fuels. So we have joined forces with, with other companies that share the same challenges to do so. When, for instance, I can give you the example of steel. Steel accounts for approximately 50% of the emissions across the life cycle of, of our offshore wind farms. And what we realized that it's this very daunting, uh, daunting uh, effort, right? Because we decarbonize our supply chain is dependent on the carbonization of, of the steel sector. And how can we push for this? We realize that steel is also part of many other supply chains, many other products in our daily life, like like cars, like buildings and infrastructure, like uh, many different things. So we joined forces with the Climate Group to to found a new cross-sector collaborative organization called Steel Zero, which essentially gets together different buyers from different industries that make high use of steel to make commitments to procure or specify net zero steel down the line. And that is a really, really key effort to do when you're working with this difficult to decarbonize sector, sending signals that if they start to, and, and incentives for them to transform, if they start to transform and decarbonize today down the line, because that's going to take some time to, to get to the, for the world to have green steel available at, at scale, we're going to be there to buy and procure 
those products. And that is a really, really, really important signal that we can send suppliers and that we can send these sectors to sort of decarbonize. So collaboration with your suppliers, one step, cross-sector collaboration and within the industry is also another key effort that you need to, to think of. And the third one is, of course, around measurement. We need to ensure a good, strong, comparable system for how to sort of measure your emissions across the life cycle of offshore wind farm within the industry. And we're beginning to reach out to peers and working with our industry organizations in Europe to find a ways of standardizing that way of measurement. Can you talk, Virginia, about your approach to supplier engagement? Well, we did to help and support in their decarbonization journey because there are at different levels. It's defined very simple three levers to sort of somehow guide their actions on it. So that the first one was to start measuring and disclose emissions, basically because what, what can be measured can be managed. And if you put it, we should begin to disclose them publicly. You can act and follow on, on, on the process. The second thing that we've asked suppliers is to, in addition to disclosing emissions, to set science-based targets. And the third one has been to start using 100% green electricity. Green electricity is a technology that is known in the market. It's available at a cost-competitive price, and it can get some of the way towards decarbonization. So we started to sort of ask suppliers and encourage suppliers to do that as a first step in their decarbonization journey. And, And the other lever that we have, it's more relates to our shipping and transportation supplies, is to start defining a roadmap for optimizing their routes when they install uh, the different components uh, of our wind farms offshore to reduce fuel consumption and reduce emissions, but also start developing a plan for transitioning towards the use of vessels that are either hybrid or begin to use green energy. So, so we focus our engagement around those three levers so far and with really, 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 really good results through the collaboration and the dialogue engagement that we've been having with them. I do want to dig in a little bit more and talk about this question of collaboration and influence and so forth. When you talk about measurement, this is certainly something that many companies face is, is, is trying to get good figures, starting, I guess, with figures that are approximate and averages and so forth, which aren't sufficient, but a stepping stone on the journey. Can you talk a little bit about looking at that? Yes. And for instance, what is key when you start looking about a measuring scope three emissions is how to do the LCA assessments. LCA stands for life cycle assessments. So basically in, in, in looking at emissions from the materials that are being used in a product, the manufacturing of them, the transportation, installation, the operations, and all the way down to sort of the end use and the decommissioning of, of those emissions. And, and that requires that sometimes you need to start looking to begin with when you don't have actual real data from your suppliers, you need you need to rely on internationally recognized emission factors to sort of estimate those emissions. We think that is because we've been using a really good step to start with that. But increasingly, if you are to demonstrate that you indeed are working and you indeed are working to reduce emissions and you want to demonstrate to your customers or to society that you are actually, your efforts are having an influence in in reducing those emissions. You need to move to integrate actual real supplier data, scope three data into your calculations. And that is the key key next step and a very, very complex step to, 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 to take. 
The first thing that we're doing with that is ensuring that and supporting our suppliers in the quality of how they're measuring their own emissions. That is one of the key works that, that we're doing uh, with them. And the second one, as I have mentioned before, is that we're working with other peers in the industry and with the industry association to look at a way of standardizing how those measures are being taken. And those two steps are the very, very key to make sure that sort of down the line, we can demonstrate that, yes, we have, we're building this, this wind farm where we're using these materials with these lower CO2 emissions or Maybe what is our overall ambition, which is we build a fully carbon neutral wind farm. And, and we can do that because we're showing how the emissions, how we have worked to fully decarbonize the different aspects and components of, of that wind farm. Now, Orsted was the first, I think, renewable energy company in the world to have net zero targets agreed with science-based targets initiative. How have these targets, how are they helping you set your scope three decarbonization goals and achieve your goals? Yes, that is correct. We are the first energy company in the world to have our net zero target of 2040 approved by science to be in line with what it is required for the energy sector to decarbonize in a manner that we support staying within the one and a half degree limit. Erster got our first uh, science approved decarbonization target back in 2017 and working with the science-based target initiatives had really, really helped us ensure that our full roadmap, both near-term targets and long-term targets, are in line to what the world really, really needs. So what good looks like when it comes to climate and decarbonization is not something that we can define on our own or any other party. It's what science, and we firmly believe it's what science says it's needed to support life as we know it. So it has been really, really important to have this, that this has been a really, really key and important aspect to really guide our journey, the quality of our decarbonization journey and the quality of our roadmaps in a way. And, and, and another aspect where the net zero targets really help us when it comes to scope three is in setting the pace. What is the pace of decarbonization that we need to shift within this? And to work together and to sort of bring that uh, net zero, the science-based target initiative is also certification and stamp of the quality of, of your decarbonization journey. And bringing that when we speak with our suppliers, when we speak with other customers has really, really, really lifted those conversations to the to the right level of understanding that this is what we need to do. This is the ambition that we need to have. We cannot do it slower, but we need to do it at the pace that is actually needed. So, so the discussions are moved around how we can make that happen instead of when and how and whether we should make it happen. And this is one of the key values of, of following science when it comes to your own the climate journey. Net zero has certainly two dimensions. One is the reduction of, of carbon emissions and the other is the offsetting. And can you talk a little bit about the prioritization of those? I think you touched on a really, really important aspect of why having net zero targets by companies that prove that science is so valuable and so important. What does approval does, it proves the quality of your decarbonization journey towards net zero. And essentially means that we as a company have prioritized coming to net zero and reaching net zero through actual emission reductions as opposed to through offsetting. It means that by 2020, by 2040, we have a target that is covering all three scopes, scope one, two, and three of emissions, and not only scope one and two, but 
our full value chain of, of emissions. And it means that we are committed to reach net zero through actual emission reductions and that we have put a cap into how much we will use offsetting. Offsetting we will only use in 2040 for residual emissions that are less than 10% of the actual emissions that we will be reducing. And we will only, we're putting basically a cap on the offsetting that we use, meaning that we'll only reduce residual emissions that we will not, we will actually have a very, very difficult to, to abate at that point. And we will be doing through certified, certified high quality nature based offsetting solutions. And this is what science based, uh, the science based net zero standard does when it comes to your company's net zero target. It ensures that it's of high quality. It ensures that you're covering not only scope one and two emissions, but also scope three, your full value chain. It ensures that as a company, you are in your net zero journey, prioritizing actual emissions reductions as opposed to reaching net zero targets through mainly offsetting. Can you talk about KPIs? I'm just wondering about relationship between the short-term targets and the kind of short-term goals that organizations have and the, the longer-term targets and, and maybe getting from one to the other. Yes. So in, in our set, our, our north, our long-term target is a net zero by 2040 target. But to make sure that we get there in about 20 years time, we need to make sure that we are today taking action and taking the right kind of action that ensures us to sort of somehow pave the way towards that that distant future uh, in a way. It's what we call making that distant future actionable here and today. And, and the way we do that is by setting some concrete KPIs in relation to the addressing the key challenges that we see towards towards that long-term future. And some of the KPIs that we have set when it comes to scope three has to do with the engagement that we're doing with with suppliers. And with some of the key three levers that we are working with our suppliers to to sort of guide in their decarbonization journey. So one of these concrete KPIs that we have set with with suppliers is in relation to the mission and disclosure of emissions and mainly doing that publicly and using a platform like CDP uh, supply chain. And, And we have gotten some really good results on that part where two years ago when we started the program, less than one third were actually measuring and disclosing their emissions publicly today, virtually all of them. Over 95% of our strategic suppliers within the scope of the program are are doing that in a way. Second KPI that we've we've set on kinds of engagement is the use of 100% green electricity in their own manufacturing as a first step towards decarbonization. Again, two years ago, it was a handful of suppliers that were doing that or committed to do that. Today, two-thirds of our strategic suppliers have already integrated 100% green electricity in their manufacturing or are working to do that by 2025, which is the concrete uh, KPI that, that we set. The other one is in relation to setting science-based targets, where Virtually none of our suppliers back then when we started the engagement were were doing that. And today, approximately one third of the suppliers have already set science-based targets or are working to, to, to do that within the next two years. And we have actions that we're taking in place to actually support our suppliers in doing this, this very, very important piece of work within the program that we have. And then 
The other one of the key, key more, I would say, soft uh, KPI that we've been set is in relation to, to cross-sector collaboration, and uh, which I've also touched upon a little bit earlier in, in our conversation. I think that what we really, really, really got from the early beginning in Ersat is that if we are to, if we are to reach our goal in 2040, we're not going to be able to do it on our own. This is not something that we can lift on our own. So we need to really join forces with other companies like Monday that have similar ambitions that may be on other sectors as well, but that share the same challenges in their supply chain decarbonization. And, 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 and so we have set up a really concrete KPI of working to build and create the right cross-sector collaborative platforms to do that. And one of the ones that we've been doing is around steel because it's a key material to decarbonize our supply chain and it's, it's called Steel Zero. And, and today we co-founded that, that initiative together with the climate group a, a bit over a year ago. And today, over a year ago, we are very, very happy that other peers like Vattenfall, other suppliers like Simon Gamesa, Eva Drola have joined forces and maybe from other sectors. Volvo, Maersk has also been joining on, on these efforts because steel is also part of decarbonizing the scope three emissions. So, so working to really see forward these, these cross-sector collaborative initiatives is also a really important KPI, a soft KPI, but really in, if you want to put it in mathematical words, but I think it's a really key lever for us in our journey. That's tremendous momentum, Virginia, and, and speaks to this tremendously important question about influence and collaboration, and you mentioned the the metaphor of cleaning your and, and painting your own house, but as against working in the neighbourhood. And what have you learned about uh, influencing others, other companies in in your supply chain, other suppliers, how to influence them? And can talk a little bit about your journey there, Virginia. Yeah. I think that's another really good question. And I think that usually when you talk about influence, you always tend to think about the, the carrot and stick uh, mechanism, right? And, and, and I think that one of the key learnings that we've done is that in, in the two years that we've been working on so intensively and strategically on decarbonizing our scope three emissions is that you can get so much done through the carrot, through the carrot approach. Instead of sort of starting with really hard requirements and, and, and definitions to suppliers and you need to do this and that, we actually took a different approach, learning from, from other companies and from other topics. We started to say, dear supplier, we have this ambition. We think this is a shared ambition because decarbonizing the supply chain of renewables is not an that only problem. It's the problem and, and it should be, therefore, the ambition of the entire industry. How can we work with this together? What are your, what are your challenges? How can we support each other on this journey? So we took that dialogue approach at understanding where they are, meeting suppliers where they are in their journey. And then helping and supporting in, in moving towards the, some of the key levers and, and that we have defined for, for our engagement in decarbonization. And we have gotten some really, really, really good moment, not only momentum, but really, really good results around it, which are some of the results that I mentioned to you before on, 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 on KPIs in a way. And, and I think that that's one, been one of the really, really key learnings here in a way that there is a lot that can be, can be done especially by just really understanding each other and really finding ways of collaborating and, and partnering up towards uh, decarbonization. 
clearly you're on a tremendous journey, uh, made great progress and very pioneering in many ways. How would you describe the culture of Orsted and how it supports the journey you're on? I think that's also a really, really good point that you're bringing up here, because ultimately working with a top strategic priority like Scope 3 and making sure that you move and you take actions on this is not only the company working collaboratively or working towards external and stakeholders, but also how do you internally manage this? And the key for us is that decarbonizing our supply chain is not the the responsibility alone of one small or big uh, department in Ersted or area in Ersted. It requires the concerted effort across many different areas of the business. So every time we work on a pre, on a top sustainability and strategic priority like this one, we defined uh, we establish a sustainability program. Uh, in this case, it's called the supply chain decarbonization program, and it's a program that spans across different departments in Ersted where each department has a role and responsibility and, of course, a capability that brings to the table in relation to making this, this happen. And there is also a steering committee that is also cross-functional that reports all the way to our C-suite level that oversees the different efforts that we do within this area. And with explaining a little bit this governance, what I'm sort of trying to get at is that you're not going as a company to lift any actions within uh, within decarbonizing your supply chain or scope three, but really think that is the, that only the sustainability team can do that, or, or or in my or in my case because we are part of the sustainability team, the climate and environment team, we are the only ones that can do that. It requires that the full organization works with that, and and the role that we have is to bring together everyone and make sure that the efforts are coordinated and they are moving towards the same the same direction in 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 a way. And that is a really, really, really important thing and learning as well that um, that I can share with, with others here today. Fascinating. You touched on this question of hard to abate sectors. You talked a little bit about the steel industry. Can you just maybe give an overview of what your, some lessons and insights here? These are industries that have real challenges to, to decarbonize. Can you talk a little bit about what lessons you, there might be here? Yes, and I think the key the key thing is this one is this these are difficult sectors to decarbonize and it's going to take a long time to reach full decarbonization. But actions also there are some actions that we can take that both the sector, steel sector, and those of us that make use of steel can take today. And winners sort of put together our own roadmap and our own sort of strategic plan for how we want to work to help decarbonize this very important sector in a way. And one of the first key assessments that we look at is that full decarbonization of the steel sector is going to be reachable through breakthrough technologies like the use of of renewable hydrogen. And and that has the ability to deliver 99% reductions of emissions of steel. But that kind of steel available um, at scale, made with green uh, hydrogen, is not going to be available at scale and at volumes necessary up until way into the 2030s. So it, it's still a, a long way ahead. But there are some actions that we can do both to stimulate that that transition goes 
that that transition towards breakthrough technologies happens. And one of the things that we have done is basically make a public commitment that we will specify and procure net zero steel by 2040 at all of our steel will be by net zero steel by 2040 at the latest. And, and that commitment we have made also through a steel zero organization, which I have been uh, telling you about, join forces with other sectors that make use of steel to create a demand pool, a demand pool for net zero steel, pushing the decarbonization of the sector, basically saying, dear suppliers, if you start to transform, down the line we'll be there to procure your, your, um, your green steel in a way. The second thing that we look at is that that is a more the long-term aspect, but there's going to be something that we can do here today. And of course, some of, there are some still CO2 emission reductions that the sector can achieve through energy efficiency measures in their manufacturing. And we're working to support suppliers and, and on, on doing that. And they're actually doing it on their own. But there is another sweet spot, which is uh, thinking how circular practices in relation to the use of, of, of steel can be relevant and how can we make a further use? There's a lot of steel out in the world that we can reuse and that we can continue to even reuse furthermore that can also deliver in the short and medium term and good uh, amounts of decarbonization of the sector. And, and here we're really, really working to understand how can we best can make use of circular economy practices in relation to the steel that goes into the foundations and in relation to, for instance, reusing some of the steel from, from other buildings or, or when a wind farm reaches a decommissioning age, if we can reuse that steel into other constructions, projects that, that we do. And maybe just to take it a little bit from the top, when it comes to these difficult-to-base sectors, you need to think about what, what you can do long-term, but also what you can do short and medium-term to sort of push that decarbonization and accompany that sort of long-term journey that it's going to take to, to reach full decarbonization of, of it. And for us, it's supplier engagement. We engage our suppliers also with the, the suppliers of steel uh, in, in our supply chain to understand their journey to, to support them. We do cross cross-sector uh, collaboration with other uh, companies that, that, that make use of steel. And we work to sort of really understand these three levels of actions that we can take short, medium and long term in a way. Do you see a competitive advantage arising from Orsted achieving your scope three targets or indeed for other other companies? Some companies have been slower to move on this. It's, I, some feel it's less urgent. Do you think there are competitive advantage questions here? Absolutely. That is one of the hypotheses that we're working with, that we want to sort of leverage these efforts towards the bids and the auctions that we do towards the different governments and markets where we are operating. And we're actually seeing that in some of these markets, you're no longer competing only on, on price in relation to win uh, the possibility of building a wind farm, but you're also competing in the full value proposition that you do around them that wind farm where decarbonization of, of the supply chain and of the different materials, circularity of the different materials that are being used, it's a, a, a key component. It's still early days and some markets are moving in that direction. Some others are still really, really dedicated and really, really focused on price as the key parameter that you're competing with. But we're seeing more and more of that movement. And, and we think that that is the best way of what the world needs and what we can support on, on delivering a competitive advantage. 
And, and when it comes also to our private customers, sort of different customers where we do PPAs with, we also see that this is an area of, in, of growing attention because we have some customers that are also working to, to decarbonize their scope three emissions, right? And if we provide them a PPA, then we're also part of, uh, of their scope three emissions, uh, right? So we see a competitive advantage that, that, that we can leverage from, from these efforts and from having been working with this from early days, in a way. So Virginia, what's next for Usted on your scope three decarbonization journey? There are two key things. I think when it comes to supply engagement, we, when it comes to our supply engagement, we're really, really strong. We have really strength and, and, and have a really good platform for that. What we need to sort of really step up a bit more is the cross the cross-sector collaboration and the within the industry collaboration that we're doing to address this common challenge because decarbonizing supply chain emissions of renewable energy pro- energy projects is not only our own problem or responsibility, it's the entire responsibility of the industry. So a lot of the more efforts that we can leverage and we can do collaboratively with peers, it's, it's really a, a next step, not least in relation to the measuring of supply chain emissions as we talked in earlier. Well, I wish you the very best with your ongoing work, Virginia. And thank you so much for your time today. Fascinating interview. Very helpful indeed. Thank you so much for having me, for for having Ersted, and uh, all the best to you as well. Thank you for listening to the Scope 3 Agenda podcast with EcoVadis. We hope you found it interesting. and would love if you could share with your colleagues and leave a review. If you would like to find out more about EcoVadis, please visit ecovadis.com.